This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode number 24 of Real Blend, a podcast that won't rest until every single person listening to us gets to star in their own Joker movie. My name is Sean O'Connell, <laughs> and I'm the managing director here at Cinema Blend, which is why you are currently watching us on the Cinema Blend Facebook page. If you have chosen to download us after the live show and you're listening to us on either iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, or the like, we appreciate your time. So give us a star rating, write us a very quick review if you can, and please follow our Twitter page, which is located at, at RealBlend. Uh, I was going to say .com, but it's not even .com. It's just at RealBlend. So one man who is drowning in Twitter followers is my wonderful and world-traveling co-host, Mr. Kevin McCarthy of Fox 5 in Washington, D.C. Kevin, how are you, sir? Jonathan, good to talk to you this uh, afternoon, and also Gabriel. How are you, sir? Gabe our is uh, our silent producer behind the... Oh, he waits. Right. How nice of him. Uh, we do not have Jake Hamilton with us today, unfortunately. Jake uh, got pulled away on assignment at the very last minute, so we will we will miss him today, and he will not be able to weigh in on all the very fun things that we're doing, but Kevin and I are going to hold down the fort. I think he's too scared to talk about Hereditary. Yeah, I, I'm excited to talk about that movie as well. I'm st- I definitely had some... Uh, freakish uh, uh, nightmares and or waking up early in the morning and running around my house freaked out. So it's definitely something I'm excited to talk about for sure. I'll tell you what was really funny too, is that we kind of agreed before this week's podcast that all three of us were going to go see Hereditary at the same time and that we were not going to talk about it in text chat. Cause a lot of times what happens right. is we come out of a movie, we break it down so in depth that by the time we get to the show, a lot of us have said what we want to say about something but it didn't stop us from sharing gifts of the of the movie, <laughs> yeah. Or things that would at least remind us of the movie. And the one that you shared was someone just slamming their head into a wall yeah. over and over again. There's a yeah. I think the shot is in the trailer. Actually, I think you see uh, Alex Wolf's character in that in that classroom with the with the with the with the, with the uh, desk face thing. I think that's in the trailer. But yeah, yeah. I think the, all the gifts we were sending back and forth were very funny because they were just very. Um, they were, they were visually exactly what was happening in the film, but more on a joking element side of it, which is kind of funny. So <laughs> uh, so we're going to break down Hereditary, or at least we're going to tease it and not get into too many specific spoilers because I think it opens on Friday. Um, we're recording this before it opens. We definitely want to give you um, an idea of how we felt about it, but it's the type of movie where... I think you have to experience it for yourself. You don't want to read too much about it going into it. Let the movie play out for what it is. And again, I think it was so scary that it sort of chased Jake off. So we'll try to comfort him uh, and bring him back into the fold uh, next week for Incredibles, which is an animated film and might be more in his wheelhouse. Um, I want to mention the fact that Kevin is in a different location. And every time that we talk about how much travel we do uh, in between this show and the amount of coordinating for schedules, Kevin, you've had the craziest travel schedule that i think you've had in a while can you just let people know like where you've been and why you're on the road yeah this week is nuts um yeah monday i was in dc uh live on my station fox 5 and then i flew to dallas dallas i saw tag and then tuesday morning i did the interviews for tag which is fascinating by the way i don't know if people are fully aware of that jeremy uh renner's arms in that film were cgi but the whole concept of that story blows my my mind um john ham was telling me the craziest things i I can talk about it if you want me to but it's very very cool yeah i want to hear it i want to hear about runner's arms too because i don't think people get this at all so yeah so basically uh from what i understand so uh on jimmy fallon about a year ago in july uh there was a picture that came out of renner's uh arms in casts that he posted on his instagram and so Fallon asked about it, and Fallon talked about this idea that, you know, his arms were broken on set. So Renner talks about, yeah, he broke his arms. It was a stunt sequence, essentially, where he falls off a chair, uh, and the chairs didn't fall, but his arms ended up hitting the ground. So his arms broke. So then John Hamm went on, I think it was Ellen, earlier this week, talking about the idea of what happened to Renner's arms in the film and how they actually had to CGI 
his arms into the movie because it was day three of the production that it's Renner crazy. broke his arms and it was apparently a 40-day production. So the crazy part about that is and when you see Tag, you'll notice that essentially everything Renner does in the movie is action. Uh, everything deals with his arms. Everything deals with everything, his whole body. It's a very physical performance. I have no clue how they even pulled this off and made it look so seamless but the majority of the arms you are seeing in tag from Jeremy Renner are complete are, are somehow CGI enhanced. Um, so one of the crazy scenes that is in the film, which is a scene they shot the day after Renner broke his arms, was a scene where he throws donuts at Ed Helms's face uh, during a sequence when Ed Helms is trying to tag Jeremy Renner. If you're not familiar with the concept, Renner's character uh, in the movie itself has never been tagged by his friends in the 30 years they've been playing this game. And it's based on a true story. In real life, there were nine or ten guys who played tag from the, from the day they were kids, essentially, till now in their current age. It was a Wall Street Journal article. Um, so in this scene, Renner is literally throwing donuts with a sleeveless shirt on, and I'm like... <laughs> First of all, the fact that he's wearing a sleeveless shirt blows my mind because why would they just try and cover that up with a long sleeve shirt? Um, what ended up happening was Renner wanted to throw the uh, the donuts on his own. So he actually tossed them like a Frisbee with his wrist. Um, and then what's even crazier about that is the shots when Helms is getting hit in the face with the donuts are, are also <laughs> CGI. So They're the like donuts slow motion, are aren't they? Isn't like a slow right. motion hit to his face? Yeah, and and his face is like the rip the ripples in his cheeks as he's getting hit by these donuts. The craziest part about that is that the donuts were never even there in his face. They were fully CGI. Renner did throw the donuts, but the actual impact shots are not real. So his face has so much excess skin that it ripples in the slow-mo, which is kind of crazy. But other than, on top of that, yeah, he basically did a lot of the scenes with broken arms. So it's, uh, I can't it's believe very Renner fascinating. Shot however many Marvel movies that he shot and made it through unscathed. And then on day three of tag, he falls and breaks both arms. Yeah. And it's unbelievable. And, and I'm telling you, when you watch the movie, you really can't tell what's CG and what's not. And it's kind of truly an amazing thing to see on screen and knowing that his arms were broken for majority of the film. So when you watch the movie, pay attention to it. It's pretty cool. All right, so you're not in Dallas right now, though. Where did you go after that? So, yeah, so in Dallas yesterday was the interviews for TAG. Then I flew to L.A. last night, saw The Incredibles 2 last night, and then woke up this morning, did my live segments from L.A., and then I did my interviews for for Incredibles, who I spoke with uh, Craig T. Nelson, Holly Hunter, Sam Jackson, Brad Bird, um, Bob Odenkirk, and Catherine Keener, and that was crazy. And I, I still don't really fully understand how they do the voice of Jack Jack. Apparently it's the same person who did it 14 years ago. And I need to, I need to delve into that a little more with Brad Bird, but Brad Bird, it gave me the coolest story about this. Are you familiar with the whole A113 element of his career and the, that, that classroom that was in the classroom that they all school? went to a Cal arts. Yeah. So cool. Cause when you watch Incredibles two, you're going to see references to that. And apparently in every Brad Bird movie, there's a reference to that. Um, even in his first in, couple in every films. Pixar movie, they actually yeah, get into every, every Pixar single movie. Pixar movie. Right. Yeah. So there's, there's the one that's in this one is, uh, there's apparently a, a multiple in this one that Brad Bird told me, but, uh, I only caught one of them. Um, so that was today. And then I fly to uh, nice. Hawaii tomorrow for Jurassic world two. Um, oh my God. yeah, it's I'm kind of a crazy thinking about your schedule, <laughs> crazy week. My brain's not really functioning. Right. So if I uh, seem a little loopy, it's just cause I'm like, completely tired i've been up i mean every morning that i've been gone I, I have to get up and do live shots so and then i edit and things send everything back to my station so everything's been a little bit of a of a, of a whirlwind well, this week and also with the summer blockbuster season it almost feels like okay so we got through infinity war we got through deadpool 2 we're through solo and you would think that it starts to slow down a little bit but oceans 8 is coming right on the heels of all these other movies you're talking about tag and incredibles 2 jurassic is dropping its embargo like there's all of these things that are sort of stockpiling up it really does feel like this summer is getting really crowded and crazy and then hereditary which we're going to talk about later is sort of this under the radar film from may 24 that played at south by southwest but needs to sort of contend with these big blockbusters and i'm glad that it's sort of cutting through and building up some buzz just through word of mouth and people talking about it yeah, hereditary. Uh, God, what a, it's it's an exercise in sheer brutality, and I, I know that the I can't officially review the film until Thursday, um, but I can say that I've seen it. It freaked me out. It's brutal. Uh, it's a very hardcore experience. Um, yeah, we will talk in depth about it. In, it's relentless. In, in yeah, yeah, it is. I want to. I just want to find out later in the show 
I'm going to ask you just if you recommend it. And so just think about that because I don't, yeah. it's, it, that word is strange when it comes to a movie like Hereditary because it's definitely right. not for everybody. Um, this was trailer week. It was insane. The number of trailers that have dropped. Uh, and there's another one coming Friday is the trailer for the Halloween reboot that yeah. David Gordon Green is doing with Danny McBride. And I am super excited for that on cinema blend. We're going to have coverage from the set. We sent somebody down to Charleston, South Carolina to visit that set. We're going to have stories on the site. Um, and this is going to get a, everybody's going to get a chance to see the first footage from that movie. I saw it at CinemaCon um, in Vegas. They showed it as part of the universal panel. Actually universal has, a trailer for glass that they should be able to show really soon too. And I'm surprised that that's not dropping. I guess that doesn't Sam Jackson. For a little was while. Just, Sam Jackson was just telling me, I was like, have you seen glass yet? And he said, no, M night won't show it to me. And I'm like, oh, really? Really? I'm like, why? And I, 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 he's just like, he really wants to see it apparently. And as I was leaving the room, he was like, I'll see you soon. And I was like, I was like, for what? He goes probably for glass. I'm like, have you, and he said, M night won't show me the movie yet. And I'm like, it, wow. I'm like, that's crazy. And it's funny too. Like a lot of times at cinema, uh, at cinema con, when they were showing footage, for these different movies that are coming, all of the actors who came out to sort of introduce it would all turn around and look up at the screen because this was the first time they were getting to see anything right. that was coming. So um, I want to rifle through really quick since we haven't seen Halloween yet. These are the ones that have opened and uh, Kevin and I have sort of been tracking them as they come. Uh, the first one that got me most excited is this animated one from Lord Miller, which is Star uh, Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. Did you check this one out and what did you think oh, of it? Incredible. Now, who? Now they didn't direct the film, right? Because I was looking. It's it's three directors that I don't. I'm not too familiar with. Um, Correct. But they're involved, yeah. obviously, as producers. Yeah. I mean, it's honestly some of the coolest animation I've seen. Um, you know, I was watching Incredibles two last night, and uh, just looking at the animation there, it just truly is amazing what they can do with hair, and uh, it blows my mind. Like just the facial hair yeah. on Mister Incredible's face. Um, but this was a different level. It, it felt different in regards to not a different level. It was more of a different feel, a different vibe, more comic booky. Um, I liked the way the animation played with the editing and the, and the pop-ups of the comic book strip element in regards to some of the shots. Um, right. I think it's kind of cool that it's animated because Spidey is such an interesting and fluidly moving character that I, uh, sometimes the live action element can kind of hold it back a bit um, because then you're jumping from live action to fully CG in certain scenes. And uh, I always like the way Sam Raimi did it. It was very cool with the POV stuff. But um, I think that this is, it's a perfect playing ground for a Spider-Man character because it's fully animated so they can kind of do whatever they want. Um, Jake Johnson, Adam obviously. Blue, I, yeah, it's Peter Parker. Uh, and yeah. who, Kingpin is voiced by uh, Liev Schreiber which I'm excited about. They announced yeah. uh, Haley Steinfeld is the voice of um, Spider-Gwen. So that's kind of cool. And I yeah. think they're just going to branch out into like all the different versions of Spider-Man that you people have seen in the Ultimate Universe. And you're right. I just think that, that we've seen so many live action Spider-Man over the years who are limited by the physicalities of having an actual actor in a suit that if you take the animation element of it and, and are able to sort of apply that to the weird physics that come with being Spider-Man, it just fits yeah. animation really well. So, And I think the Lord Miller humor that stood out in, because they wrote it, um, they produced it and, and co-wrote it uh, without directing it. I think that, that that humor that we saw in like the Lego movie and 21 Jump Street is probably going to shine through um, in this. I'm going to jump ahead then because I mentioned Haley Steinfeld. So Paramount rolled out the first trailer for Bumblebee. And our text chain kind of blew up a little bit <laughs> because each of you, first off, Jake, who is a big defender of Solo and, you know, saying that for the people who always argue like, oh, we didn't need this story. Your guy's immediate reaction to Bumblebee seemed to be, we don't need this story. And and right. I, I can't argue that, but I'm, I am excited to see a Transformers movie that's not directed by Michael Bay. I like Michael Bay for what he is, but I'm tired of his, his version of Transformers and I'm anxious to see anybody else's version of Transformers. Yeah. I mean, listen, Michael Bay, Transformers one and three, in my opinion, are phenomenal action films. And I think people after two was two and four and five are very bad movies. Unfortunately, two is two is one of the worst movies I've ever seen, but so bad. Like it's so bad. I, I think a lot of, it's so bad, but a lot of people after two, were probably a little like, I'm not going to continue going, but three was so awesome that I think, I know people saw three, but I think, I know, I know a lot of people who actually stopped after Which two. Which one was, was so three? Bad. Three Which was one the one was in three? Chicago Remind with like the, 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 they were skydiving out of that building. They had the, the wind suits. Okay. It, it was The awesome. last Shia one. John Malkovich. Exactly. Yeah. Um, okay. But yeah, four and five are awful. Um, listen, I, I, 
Yeah, it's one of those things where I mean, no movie is really necessary, right? I mean, you can you could argue that every film, uh, you know, was it necessary to do an Incredibles two? Well, you know, if, right? I mean, to me, it's it, it's just based on, or do they have a good story to tell? And I think I just don't find that I want. I don't know. I, I to me, watching the Bumblebee trailer, I thought it was cool, but I've already seen those effects. I've already seen the transformation shot of somebody reacting yeah. to seeing Bumblebee for the first time. We've already seen that with Shia. It was so right. cool in the first one when he first reacts to it and those effects that we saw in 2007, the rendering on those digital effects were unbelievable back then. They still look really good today. Um, I don't know. I, I, it kind of reminded me of like a Herbie fully loaded meets like a Transformers <laughs> element. And uh, I saw it just, your like, tweet on that. That was pretty funny. Yeah. I mean, it was just one of those things where I didn't really – it didn't do anything for me. I mean, of course I'll see it, and I like Heli Steinfeld. I think she was amazing in True Grit, but um, I don't feel that the trailer grabbed me and made me say I really want to see that. Um, but right. again, and trailers that can December, be – December is getting really crowded with, with this animated Spider-Man movie coming, with Bumblebee, with Aquaman, um, Mary Poppins Returns. There's a lot of things coming out in December that people are sort of – competing for audience dollars so i'll be curious to see what word of mouth is on bumblebee yeah definitely i'm I'm, I'm, listen i'm gonna see it clearly i just don't have uh in my mindset i'm like i can't wait to see that like like, i'm freaking out about you know first man like that i i have no no you know that's that's something i'm excited to see you know okay so can i tell you about first man really fast yeah i can't wait i saw that footage um, at CinemaCon at Vegas. And there's a moment in that trailer that I think about still to this day and I get like chills and I can't wait for people to see it. So the first man for people who don't know is Damien Chazelle, who is a freaking genius. I love Chazelle. Yeah. I'll go see anything he does, right? He did Whiplash. He did La La Land. I cannot wait to see what he does with first man. It's he and Ryan Gosling are doing essentially the moon landing story. Um, yeah. And first man is the first man to walk on the moon. And it's all about how it was basically impossible. Like there's no way that we as mankind should have been able to even pull it off because it's just and it's, it's kind of crazy that we don't do it anymore. Like, why don't we do it anymore? Is it just too expensive? Is it a colossal waste of our time and resources? I don't I don't get it. But it was like such the demand back in the 60s to get someone to the moon. Um, and then the trailer ends and the trailer that they released better end on this. But it ends with a POV shot of them coming out of the the lunar module and looking down the ladder at the Mm. surface of the moon and like slowly taking the steps and then like panning up and seeing like the vastness of space and earth, like off to the distance. And like, I got vertigo just Mm. watching it play out because it's on this massive screen. That's just totally enveloping you. And I was like, imagine if the last half hour of his movie is you on the surface of the moon. I'll, I'll, I'll lose my mind. I'll go crazy. It's going to be amazing. And, and I, he kind of went the Chris Nolan route in regards to shooting on IMAX film, which is going to be yes. unbelievable. I mean, like I remember talking to him for La La Land and he, you know, La La Land was a movie that he pitched initially and then he didn't, wasn't able to make it. And then Whiplash was, was came out of the anger of not being able to make La La Land. Um, but Whiplash was made on such a small scale that they he couldn't. I don't think he could get the funding to shoot that movie on film, so he shot digitally, unfortunately. Um, but then he got you know the twenty million dollar budget. He did a La La Land. He shot film, um, and obviously that movie made you know whatever it was four hundred million dollars worldwide at the box. I was somewhere near there, um, and he now can do whatever he wants. So the idea of him having full access to film IMAX cameras uh, and in the and a la Chris Nolan. The Dark Knight, Interstellar, Dunkirk style kind of things. Um, I think the Moon stuff is going to be absolutely beyond belief, um, and I have a hard time believing that he's going to be. I'm sure he's going to try to do as much as he can in, in camera. Obviously, CG is going to play a, a, an element here. Has to obviously, you know, we can't film Ryan Gosling on the Moon, but I think that there's going to be a very <laughs> if anybody interesting, could though. Yeah, be I think there's. I think there's going to be a very interesting level of practical in-camera elements here. I mean, if you look at um, Interstellar, was very practical. I think I don't think there was any green screen in that film whatsoever. There was definitely CG that enhanced a lot of the scenes, but uh, I think what Nolan did there will be a big inspiration, I'm assuming, on what Chazelle pulls off here with the space element. Um, I think it's going to be very, very immersive. I'm very excited about it. 
All right, let me get to a trailer too that also was incredible footage that I was able to see at CinemaCon that finally dropped today, which is the trailer for Bradley Cooper's remake of A Star Is Born. Yeah, which is uh, he and Lady Gaga, and I'm blown away by how good this looks for a first-time director. This looks really confident. And not even just like his performance, which looks really good. And then her performance, obviously she's extremely stage ready and has amazing presence. And if you just point a camera at her, I'm sure she's going to be captivating. But the look of this picture really knocked me off, you know, my feet because it's just the, the lighting looks fantastic. It looks like it has a bit of a period date to it. He shot at actual um, live concerts. He he and Gaga, so he was telling this story from, um, and Edinburgh, I want to say, too, is another one that they went to and actually shot live footage at. He was telling this story at CinemaCon. He said one of the things that Lady Gaga insisted on before she took this part was that she hates in musicals um, where people are lip syncing. So she said, we're only going to do this if we actually sing in our songs. And he was like, yeah, that's great for you, but I don't sing, you know, mm-hmm. so I'll do that for you. You can sing as much as you want. And then I'm going to fake it. And he, she was like, no, I'm not signing on to this unless you agree to sing. So he got himself to the point where he felt very comfortable. And the trailer starts like with him singing one of the main songs from the movie. Yeah. And the two of them went around to all of these live concerts, just jumped on stage and was essentially like, hey, we're going to shoot this part of our movie real guerrilla style and yeah. shot the the elements that they needed. And it looks amazing. And I love that, like, in telling this story, Bradley Cooper uh, from the stage at CinemaCon felt so passionate about it. He was just like, I needed to tell this story. I was going to star in it. Clint Eastwood almost directed it. One time, At one point, Clint Eastwood was going to direct this for, like, Beyonce and Leonardo DiCaprio. It's crazy mm. how many stages of evolution this screenplay went through. And you saw uh, Train 1315 or what the heck was the 1315 of <laughs> yeah, Paris? Yeah, 1517 like, of Paris. Yeah. Would have been yeah. a disaster if Clint took this on. So what did you think of this trailer? Are you excited for this movie? Well, I will say this. In regards to Clint Eastwood, um, 1517 of Paris was very bad. But uh, it was <laughs> yes. – he's – He's still but I, I, I don't understand how the person who made Sully made that and then who right. made American Sniper made that. Because I, I think American Sniper, Sully, Mystic River, um, Bridges of Madison oh, County, he, like he, he is a phenomenal filmmaker, no yeah, question. Absolutely. But fifteen absolutely. to seventeen of Paris, I think was just a, a, the problems there in my opinion were probably more on the long along the lines of the script. The script was horrendous and the actual guys playing themselves could not act, unfortunately. Um but that being said uh, yeah, this trailer is amazing. Uh, I was, I had legitimate chills down my body. I was get, I was in the makeup chair doing makeup before my Incredibles two interview, and the the trailer came out, and I, you know, it starts with Bradley singing, and I think I think that might have been the Coachella footage. I'm not sure, um, mm-hmm. but it was truly, it's an amazing film. This is a remake. Clearly, it's been made a couple times throughout the years. I think there's a Streisand yeah. version, Barbara Streisand the, the was in it, yeah. version, yeah. Yep. Um, so I. Uh, I, first of all, Lady Gaga, I think, is one of the greatest musicians of our time. I've seen her live. She's phenomenal. Um, if you haven't heard her Howard Stern interview, I highly recommend it. She's a genius. Um, and I think it's just amazing to watch Bradley Cooper take on this role, take on the, the scenes behind the camera. He's worked with some of the greatest directors of all time. I mean, I'm sure he's learned from the best. I mean, you have Clint Eastwood right. directing you. You've had David O. Russell directing you. Um, he's an amazing, amazing actor, but also probably someone who soaks in what these filmmakers teach him. Um, the singing live thing I, I'm so happy about because, like, Greatest Showman, for example, that really it threw me out of the film. After, after seeing Les Mis... When they sang live or sang live right. in that particular film, it kind of spoiled me for all other type of musicals because it looks like a music video. Um, yep. I need my actors singing live. I need to see their throats moving and the veins and things like that. But also, it's very obvious when they're not singing live, and it completely takes you out totally. of the story. Takes um, you totally out of it. Yep. And I, th- yeah. I agree. And so to me, the trailer is phenomenal. I'm very excited about it, and uh, I think it's going to be a ma- major major Oscar contender. I've spoken to people who've seen it uh, and um, everyone just says it's going to be a massive Oscar contender for sure. Well, I think we're, so we have to be in Toronto this year because I'm fairly certain that's going to be there. I'm fairly certain first man's going to be there. Um, We just found out that they are doing, and I I can't give any details, but they're doing a very early Bohemian Rhapsody look. Yeah. Um, That movie comes out in November, but there's some stuff happening in September September that makes me think it's going to be, 
uh, yeah. at Toronto. And so, yeah, this is going to be an incredible slate of films that hopefully are making their way through the film festival. Um, before we move on to the next segment and wrap up trailers, uh, you saw Kendrick. And you love Kendrick Lamar so much and have mentioned him on the podcast a bunch. I have to just ask you about that show. How was it? It was unbelievable. I mean, well, I don't know if a lot of people know this about me, but I'm a huge hip-hop guy. I'm, I'm, I'm a, I'm, it's weird. I'm, my realm of music has been hip-hop and metal. Uh, so I grew up on metal and hip-hop. <laughs> so, like, my, 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 my hip-hop days consisted of high school, you know, No Way Out, Diddy's album. Uh, I was a big RZA guy, Fabio Digital. Um, I don't know why I liked Foxy Brown. I loved her. Uh, I was just really into kind of old school hip hop back then, but also loved Far Side and you know things like that. But Kendrick, um, yeah, it, it, we're, we're witnessing somebody who's, in my opinion, changing music, elevating music. Uh, for people who are listening to our podcast that might not be familiar with Kendrick Lamar, uh, there was a uh, he just won the Pulitzer Prize. I mean, the guy is literally a legend. Um, like seeing me, him, I don't know anything about him. My kids kind of know him, but I don't really know him all that well. Well, he he uh, well, he kind of got a start from what I understand with this group called Black Hippie. So Black Hippie was uh, Schoolboy Q, J Rock, Absol, and Kendrick, and they kind of they were all at this show. It was the uh, Top Dog Entertainment tour. Um, but Kendrick, to me, is uh, and I think the reason I love him so much to kind of tie it into this podcast is. He's so cinematic. Um, mm-hmm. there, there was a Biggie album years ago called Ready to Die, which is a masterpiece. Ready to Die and uh, uh, is just um, – it's a masterful album. It has a song called Give Me the Loot on it. And Give Me the Loot was a track where Biggie basically played two characters uh, in, the, in the song. Verse. It's yeah. amazing. You've but talked to Diddy about that, this. You've talked to did, Diddy about yeah. this a couple of times. Yeah, Diddy was telling <laughs> me that, that Biggie actually came up with that idea in the studio – uh, to play the two characters. But the reason I bring him up is Kendrick kind of does the same thing. Kendrick, to me, is like a perfect combination of Biggie and Pac and then also parts of Eminem, as Diddy said as well. But the concert was incredible. It was, it was, and I got to meet him, which was even crazier. My wife and I bought meet and greet tickets and it, it felt like I was meeting somebody like Biggie. Like, it, like his Biggie died, you know, two albums in. Unfortunately, Pac died very early. He left a lot of songs um, that kind of kept coming out and coming out. Everyone thought maybe he wasn't really dead. Um, but the the Kendrick element, to see a guy who has four masterpieces under his belt, Good Kid, Mad City, Section 80, uh, Pimp a Butterfly, and Damn, which he won the Pulitzer for, uh, it was just kind of surreal because somebody who's this talented – I don't think I should be shaking his hand. It's so weird to me to, to meet him. Because um, we meet directors all the time, uh, film-wise, and that's my job. But to meet a musician yeah. that I think is on a level of the greatest of all time uh, is surreal. Um, I do want to recommend for people out there, there's, this, there's a track called Control. Um, there's a rapper named Big Sean. And there was an album coming out. And on that album, there was a song called Control. And in this song, Kendrick decided that he was going to essentially diss every rapper in the game and say, you know, what the heck are we doing? We need to up ourselves, be better at what we're doing. There needs to, the, the, Everyone needs to bring their A game. It was kind of a wake-up call for hip-hop. But the crazy part about it was is that he was calling every rapper out, including Big Sean, on his own album. So right. Big Sean reportedly, from I don't know the full story about what happened, the song never got on the album. Uh, I theorize that it, that Big Sean heard the verse and was like, we, you know, that's we can't. How can we put that on the album? It's the best verse, uh, one of the best verses of all time. But not right. only that, but it also disses me on my own album. Um, so <laughs> essentially, the the song then got released, and it was. And to me, hip hop changed that day. That day when Control dropped, it was one of the greatest uh, days ever. And yeah, so it, it, just seeing him live was phenomenal. It was my second time. I saw him once at the Kennedy Center. He played with the National Symphony Orchestra, and it was unbelievable. Um, so that's it. Yeah, thank you for asking Meanwhile, about that. I don't know if our if, if our if the Cinema Blend audience particularly cares about. Oh, Kendrick, I think they but, you know, care. Yeah. yeah. Well, I, I mean, I, listen, I went down my own rabbit hole trying to figure out the beef between uh, Drake and Pusha T, just because it was on every headline. Oh man, and that. Then, that. <laughs> Then yeah, I asked well, I, my kid about it because I have a 14-year-old and he's, you know, versed pretty much in what's going on. And I was like, 
I came out of my office one day. And I was like, what is the beef between Drake and Pusha T? And he just started <laughs> laughing so hard because I guess it sounds weird to have an old man uh, ask him, you know, <laughs> to use lingo, lingo like Dude, that. So. that, well, the Pusha's verse. Uh, so I grew up, uh, and I only mention this because uh, to give a little perspective, but I grew up in uh, Virginia Beach, Newport News area, which is where Clips is from. So Clips was Pusha and Malice, which were two rappers. Um, they mm-hmm. used to be produced by the Neptunes. The Neptunes was Pharrell and, and Chad. So Pharrell, obviously, the bigger name there. Uh, but Chad's a genius, too. Um, so anyway, so Clips drops an album. Or, I'm sorry, Pharrell drop. Pharrell. Pusha drops the album produced by Kanye two weeks ago. Uh, and it, it's called Daytona. There was a track called Infrared, which he basically just kind of calls out Drake on not writing his own songs, ghostwriting his music. So then Drake releases this freestyle called... Uh, it's called the, uh, I don't even know if I can say that name. Is it is the name of that freestyle allowed to be said? Anyway, it was a freestyle. And probably not. If you it, don't think so, then probably not. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know what the word means. So I'm not going to say it. Um, but <laughs> yeah. it started with a D. Uh, it's amazing freestyle. So basically, Drake essentially calls Pusha out because Pusha called him out, and all he's basically saying is like Pusha does. You know, I know they're wrapping me up. Anyway, so Pusha's <laughs> verse then came out against Drake, and it was way too far. It basically called him out for being a bad dad. Uh, it was brutal, like absolutely brutal. Um, so I, I think that kind of went beyond the diss raps and kind of a little too personal. The best diss of all time, if you haven't heard it, is probably Cube's No Vaseline or um, uh, Biggie, not Biggie, uh, Jay-Z's Takeover versus Nas's Ether. All right, we'll move on. Good, let's move on. Um, one, There are going to be diss tracks written about uh, Jared Leto's Joker, and they're going to come from mm. me. <laughs> Because I want nothing to do with this. And yet this week it was announced that Jared Leto uh, is getting another Joker movie, theoretically. But I say theoretically because um, most things that are happening in the DC universe get announced, but nothing ever comes of it. Um, There have been 17 Harley Quinn movies announced, some of them with Margot Robbie... Some of them just with the Birds of Prey or Gotham City Sirens. David Ayer is directing something. There's a Flash movie. That's going to get a director. Matt Reeves is doing a Batman movie. Uh, there might be a Man of Steel Part 2. The Snyder Cut of Justice League may come out. Uh, there's a Shazam movie that's actually happening. Uh, there's going to be a Joker movie with Joaquin Phoenix that Todd Phillips is going to direct that's not part of the DCEU. It's his own standalone little thing. I mean, you talk about a cinematic universe that um, is trying so hard to keep up with its big brother across the street uh, in the MCU and just not able to do it. But then the news comes out that a character that I just don't think, and I think they think this is being fair. People just didn't like it. Like they didn't like this interpretation of what Jared Leto was trying to do. I love Jared Leto. No, no. Okay. How can we disagree on this? It is a horrible interpretation of the Joker. So, I know that you went as him as Halloween one time. I saw those pictures. (laughs) Nothing to do with that. Listen, I don't, I, don't, I don't think Suicide Squad's a good movie by any means. Right. I actually don't. I actually think Suicide Squad was wrongfully destroyed critically as bad as it was. Um, okay. I, I think that Suicide Squad is a underwhelming, disappointing film based on what it could have been. Uh, I think the first I agree act with that. of that movie is great. I love the introduction to the characters. I love Viola Davis's character is amazing. Um, right. But then, obviously, the second and third act were garbage. The villain was terrible. Enchantress was horrendous. The whole bit of rescuing Viola in that building was so dumb. Um, so bad. And I love David Ayer, but Suicide Squad was a movie that made me very angry. And I think the anger from a lot of fans when they saw that movie kind of turned into a very negative, hateful feeling of that film. Um, I think there's good in the movie, and I think that every performance, I think Will Smith's fantastic. Margot Robbie's amazing. I love Jared Leto's character. I just, there wasn't enough of him, clearly. Um, okay, I so thought, you hear the news that they're going to give him his own movie and you get pretty excited by that? You want to see more of where he is potentially going to go with it? Because I think his, I think Harley was really well done. I think Margot Robbie's perfect casting for that. And I'm really curious to see where she goes with it. I just didn't like what Leto was doing. I didn't really agree with his interpretation. I mean, here's the thing. I mean, like, when it comes down to it, I think Ledger's the ultimate uh, Nicholson's right there, if not slightly behind, and and a totally different type of Joker. I know it sounds crazy to put sure. Ledger over Nicholson, but I just felt more fear uh, with Ledger's character. Oh, um, totally. Nicholson's was obviously a very different interpretation, more jokey. Um, but to me, I, uh, I I like the realism and the, and the grittiness of what Ledger brought to the table. Um, 
that being said, I, I don't think that Leto's Joker was given the um, full force of what he could do with this. And I think Leto right. is one of the greatest actors of our time, and I genuinely mean that. I think Requiem for a Dream uh, is just a masterpiece in emotional just destruction of your of yourself when you're watching that film. Um, but he he has something great there, and I think that if it's put to the full force, it will work. Initially, when I heard the news, I think a lot of people are still sour over Suicide Squad. Um, so I think there's a lot of uh, resentment towards that film and what Air did with that movie and, the, and what happened with that film. So I think that that's kind of what people are reacting to. Uh, I don't think that the reaction of Jared Leto taking on the role again is the problem. It's the problem of what happened to it initially. Um, well, I, I think, I, think I, I will definitely, definitely uh, be excited to see him come back. That There's one thing sure. that I can't agree with um, in in terms of this approach. I don't think that there are very many villains that are interesting enough to carry their own movie. The best villains um, pop in, you know, at different times during the the hero's journey or another protagonist's journey. And I think of like an ex- as an example, Anthony Hopkins doing Hannibal Lecter, right? Like, right. If you go back and look at his screen time, it's it's limited. Minutes. Yeah. Yeah. And so when they started rolling him out to become the focus of subsequent movies, it became far less interesting. Um, even in the comic book realm, I can't think of very many. Like, if you told me that you were going to make a Jesse Eisenberg Lex Luthor movie, I wouldn't be interested in seeing that. I don't really yeah. know what they're going to do with Venom. What is Venom going to be if you don't have Spider-Man in it? My thought process on the Leto situation is Leto probably was not happy with what happened with that film. Assuming a lot of things got cut out. I think that there were things that he probably explored that didn't get put on screen that he would think people might be interested in. I mean, I think a lot of the appeal of Suicide Squad, the movie still made $765 million worldwide or whatever it was um, because the people were just interested because the trailers were probably some of the greatest trailers I've ever seen for a film. The trailers were perfect. They were great. Um, yes. They were unbelievable. They deserve an Academy Award just for the trailers for those movies. They were amazing. Um, but... I think Leto, in my mind, I would guess that Leto is probably very upset about the portrayal. And again, this is just my guess about what happened to his character on camera and all the work he put into it emotionally and physically and makeup wise that it didn't get its due. I think that he's taking his who he is, which is a big time actor who has a lot of pull in Hollywood. He's an Oscar winner. And he was like, you know what? I want to give people what I really kind of worked on. Um, so may, yeah, you're right. There's, there's something about an idea of just a Joker movie being a very strange element. Like what, what's the, what's the, who's the hero? What's going to happen with that? So I don't know. Um, well, but I because think the hook of the Joker in the comics, especially is that he doesn't have a true origin. Like no one really knows where he came from. He's this wild card that, uh, is totally unpredictable. And every time he tries it, that's kind of like the, the funny thing about, um, when Ledger did it, every time he tried to tell his own backstory, he was probably lying each time, right? He always made yeah. up a different version of yeah, where amazing. he got his scars from because that's what the Joker does. Like the Joker never gives you a through line as to who he actually is. I don't want to know more about him. I want him to just be this force of nature that comes through and messes up everything for people. And uh, I'd rather he just be – he should have worked in Suicide Squad for that reason. You know, he should have just been the one who just kept messing up there their mission basically and making things more yeah. complicated for him. I found it really funny that as soon a... as we bring the, we bring the topic up, there's two, two comments that come in right away. First person says, Hey, stop it. I loved Leto's Joker. And the next person comes in and says, Jared Leto's Joker sucked. So <laughs> it's like one right after the other the fan base is still pretty torn on it. I think it's fascinating because Leto, um, just all the preparation that went into that role. Obviously we, we learned a lot about it through um, the internet and Instagram and all the kind of things that were happening behind those scenes. Um, but Leto's character, I, I remember reading a theory that someone had a great theory that what, what should have happened in Suicide Squad. And I think this is such a brilliant idea. They should have rescued Batman. Like that would have been a really cool thing. Like Batman somehow gets captured by the Joker, right? And Suicide Squad is what has to, is the people who come in to try and get him. Meanwhile, they're up there rescuing Viola Davis for some dumb reason. And then you have right, Enchantress right. dancing in some of the <laughs> most horrendous CGI I've ever seen in my life. Um, I don't know. I honestly would love to know what happened in that film. Something right. happened. I don't know what it is because David Ayer is a great director. End of Watch was amazing. Um, I don't – I would love 
to know what happened behind the scenes because something happened clearly. Um, yeah, because no, the, I who, agree. I don't understand what ha- it, it, it's. It's honestly frustrating, and I think a lot of the negativity towards something like Suicide Squad is because of this exact feeling, this underwhelming disappointment of what could have been. Um, but when you when you step back from all the things that we know about about movies today, and you look at the film as a whole, it has some great elements to it and it works in certain regards i don't think it's the worst movie that everyone calls it to be um so i just i i think leto probably just wants to show what he did and 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 give people what they were expecting i think that's my thought well we'll we'll see if it actually happens because again like i mentioned there's so many dc movies that get announced and then nothing ever comes of them um i want to get to so there's two movies that are opening in theaters this week, um, I've I've seen one. I didn't see the other. If you had a choice between, and and again, you don't have to go too deep into into um, reviewing them necessarily. I know with one of them, Hereditary, you're a little bit hands tied. But um, Hereditary or Ocean's Eight, are they just so completely different in terms of their audiences, or do you kind of yeah. recommend each? Or I mean, l- listen, I think both films are very good. I, I was actually very, ha- I was very happy with Ocean's Eight. Um, Primarily because of, I think Gary Ross did just a really great job kind of keeping the story together. And um, I, I don't want to get into too many spoilers, but the cast is phenomenal. Helena Bonham Carter steals the movie, in my opinion. Anne Hathaway's brilliant. Um, I, I just was very happy with the performances in this movie. I don't, I don't think that I look back on it as blown away as I was the first time I saw something like Ocean's Eleven. Obviously, Soderbergh has a very distinct style of editing. and I know he's producing this film, I believe. Um, but these eight characters are very interesting and the introductions to them. And I, I just love a group coming together and pulling off something or whatever. It's, it, it, it's fun to watch, to see the, like a, a heist being, you know, executed. Um, but yeah, I think the casting was great. I, I think Ocean's 8 is a very fun film. Will, is it a classic? Is it something that I think is great? No, but I think it works and I think audiences will really enjoy it. Um, Hereditary is yeah, just not a very uh, fun film. <laughs> well, Hereditary, yeah. Oddly enough, my my embargo for Hereditary is tomorrow. So I'm in DC, so we I, I guess there's different embargoes in different places. So, um, but I, I can just briefly react to it. Uh, it is a exercise in pure brutality. Um, Tony Collette is just outstanding, and it is. It's a tough movie. It's one of those. You asked me a question at the beginning, of the, at the beginning of the podcast, of what I recommend something like Hereditary, and it's one of those things where right. it's almost like I, to me, I put it in the same box as t- sending someone to see something like Seven, or um, you know, there's there's a lot of films that take a brute a brutal element. Like Sinister was a great horror movie, right? That was very brutal uh, by Scott Derrickson. Yeah, there's an element of that I want to focus on about Tony Collette. If they don't push her for Oscar consideration at the end of this year, uh, they're crazy because I know it's horror um, and it's early in the year. So a lot of times performances get overlooked, but there are multiple scenes in this movie that seem like unbroken shots where she has to like escalate the material. And I'm not going to give anything away. I'm not going to tell you anything that's happening. But as the scenes are progressing and her character is escalating what is happening, I was blown away by how good she is. And what it reminded me is how long she's been doing this. It flashed me back to the scene in Sixth Sense where she's learning for the first time or they're in the car and there's the accident that's forward, you know, the, ahead of them. And she's hearing um, Haley Joel Osment basically explain uh, his abilities and talk about. Um, her mom and how she shares the story about, and you just watch Tony Collette react to the story that her son is telling her, telling her. And um, I mean, that probably was the first time that I was sort of awoke, awoken up to what her abilities are, but that comes back in full force in hereditary because she has a very difficult role to play as the mother of these two children. Um, and what can I say? without giving much away. She has a mom and the mom has an effect on the whole family. And then it's how she's a mom to these other two kids. Um, And there's all these, there's difficult things that happen, (laughs) supernatural things that happen. But Tony Collette gets this ability to sort of anchor it all and bring this humanity to it. 
And she floored me with how great she is in this film. And A24, it's A24, isn't it? Who's behind this movie? They need to push her as hard as they possibly can because she has a chance to not only get uh, a nomination, but she has a chance to potentially win. Obviously, it's way too early to sort of say who has a chance to win, but her performance is that good in my opinion. Yeah, A24 is like on top of the game. Like those... That studio is just hit after hit after hit in regards to the quality of movies they choose to put out. Um, I w- I'll never forget Spring Breakers. Like that was like, like kind of like my first intro to A two four. I love Spring Breakers. I, th- I think that movie was brilliant. But <laughs> it's, awesome. um, it's a great movie. Uh, but yeah, Hereditary is just uh, it's <laughs> it's not a it's not a pleasant experience. It, 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 but I think that's the point. It's supposed to put you into a a very twisted messed up scenario and um it it it, well, it's, it 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 takes it takes you in and just does not let you go by the neck it just kind of I want to like, say this too um for a horror movie and and maybe you disagree with me I never found it to be really scary um it didn't it didn't scare me like with jump scares the way that you might it just it was unnerving to me like the way that it yeah uh, played itself out it got underneath my skin and yeah. I I never really got into a sense where I I had like a like there's a moment where oh, I don't even want, I don't even know what I can say. There's an element of um, when it's late at night. All right, now this isn't giving anything away, but this might this might even actually happen to you when it's late at night and it's dark in the room that you're in, and you look in the corner of a room and you think you see something, and you quick want to like turn on lights just to sort of prove to yourself that you're not looking at what you're looking at. And then you turn on lights and whatever's there, like there's nothing there. Right. But it's that moment between your brain disconnecting of what am I looking? Is that some, is this someone in this room with me kind of thing? There's moments like that, that freaked me out in hereditary, but they were more mental the way that they played with your brain and sort of manipulated what you were seeing or potentially not seeing. Yeah, it, it it definitely is. It's not the type of scary movie you think you're, you're like where you like things are jumping out at you and you're uh, and there's like a monster and things like that. This is fair, as you said, very unnerving. Gets under your skin. It it, it is. It truly is a very brutal experience. Um, but it's but it's a it, it's a very very well made film. And Tony Collette, as you as you said, I agree with you, deserves an Academy Award. But next week when we do the show. Uh, when the embargo is lifted for me specifically, um, I'll get into my review specifically and we can talk to Jake about it as well. Yeah, that sounds like a plan because um, you mentioned something that, that sort of uh, – I don't know if it took you out of it, but I want to hear that in detail. So um, we will review Hereditary and in fact we'll probably even get into uh, Oceans because I see that tonight. Uh, it's Wednesday when we're recording this and uh, I, I kind of want to get into greater detail about where that's going because, I mean, you mentioned Anne Hathaway stealing the show. I find that – I'm like I've heard that so from so good. many people that she's great so in it. So yeah. I, I'm excited. I think that's great. Like, that cast is so amazing. Um, and we may even steal something from that for this week's blend. Uh, I was getting a little bit of help from producer Gabe about where we're going to go <laughs> with our game. So let's get into our game because we were talking about hereditary and things that are uh, potentially scary or get under your skin. And there's no – filmmaker uh, more adept at doing that. And in fact, I'm really glad that Kevin and I are doing this episode uh, because I know that he is as big of a Alfred Hitchcock fan as I am. So um, we did Hitchcock blend on social media. If you used hashtag Hitchcock blend, you can send us your picks. Um, we have a, we have an audience winner. I also want to mention that um, before we get into our own picks, if you're watching us on Facebook, uh, watching the show live, drop your pick in right now. We are debating Theoretically, the best Alfred Hitchcock film, not our favorite, but the film that sort of best encapsulates uh, what an Alfred Hitchcock movie is. In the past, we've done David Fincher. We did uh, Christopher Nolan. We've done Steven Spielberg, Martin Scorsese. We've branched down into some actors. Um, and so now we're tackling Hitchcock. And Kevin, I, I, I know that you're a Hitchcock fan, but I have um, I, I've studied this man's filmography uh, for years. It started with a, a media studies class that I took at Catholic University in Washington, D.C., where my uh, professor uh, made us watch multiple Hitchcock films to sort of teach us the language of film and and how things are blocked and why things are specifically presented the way they are. And it was uh, using his films was almost like a textbook to um, yeah. to learning the filmmaking process. And it's amazing how, you know, at a time when he was shooting film, 
uh, and putting these stories together on the fly. And it's sometimes doing like two movies a year, we're just working under that studio system that he was able to produce as many brilliant films as he was. And you get to a movie like Psycho, which totally was like ahead of the curve in terms of uh, yeah. marketing and spoilers, putting signs outside that said like, no one will be allowed admitted into this movie after it started. Please don't share what happens in the movie. Like the ability to protect um, a, a surprise that's, that's in that, in that, uh, in a movie like that, and, and we talk about the filmmakers that we love and movies that we uh, talk about often, Jaws taking you know elements away from from Hitchcock, and uh, there's so many uh, directors that I think we adore will trace their roots back to Hitchcock and and things that he, that he taught them. So um, I get to go first, apparently, and uh, I'm gonna say I'll tell you my pick. Well, let me. Do you want to hear my pick, or oh, do you, oh, let's guess. Let's do guesses. Yeah, I want to guess. Um... I want you to guess my pick. And then I'll tell you my my rationale behind it. It's funny as I'm sitting here, I'm I'm debating if I chose the right one or not because I <laughs> might have gone my favorite. J- uh, Gabe, I told you two movies uh, when I spoke to you earlier. Um, I'm gonna reverse them if that's okay. <laughs> so I'm gonna take I'm gonna take uh, I'm gonna turn one into my favorite, one into my best. All right, uh, all right. For you, you went with. <laughs> Rear window. Oh, good choice. It is incorrect, but it's a really good choice. Uh-huh. Um, I went north by northwest. Ooh, so, okay, that's a good so one. So here's, yeah, here's what I um, envision a Hitchcock movie to be. I think there's certain elements that that it has to hit. And um, we have some time because there's two of us, so, so we're going to gush for a little while. Uh Hitchcock isn't, he is not a horror director. I think he gets mistaken as being a horror director because of two movies, The Birds and Psycho, specifically. But if you look over the course of his films, he's a suspense director. He he directs thrillers. It's why his, he's the master of suspense. And if you look at other films outside of those that he's known for, it, he has a way of, yes, he shocks the audience. He likes to playfully sort of goose the audience with things that's happening. But he has done... Um, wrong man at the wrong time stories more often than not. It's always sort of like a miscommunication that somebody gets mistaken for, for a person that they aren't supposed to be. Uh, and it sets them down a path of, of uh, uh, some sort of trouble. I think that Hitchcock, of course, he always works with his uh, platinum blondes and, um, and he has two leading men who his best films to me need to include. You either have Cary Grant or you have Jimmy Stewart. I right. think if you don't have either of those two, you're not necessarily talking about the best Hitchcock films. So with all due respect to Anthony Perkins, I cannot go Psycho, even though I did sort of consider it because it's a genius film in and of itself. But I think Psycho gets remembered more for the shower scene um, than it does for the rest of the film. And the rest of the film is fine. And it has its sort of gratuitous shock of the reveal of his mom being a corpse basically at the end. North by Northwest is the prototypical Hitchcock film because it's um, it's exciting. Um, it's a mistaken identity story, of course. It stars Cary Grant being the utmost suave Cary Grant. Um, it has a signature set piece in the crop duster, you know, chasing him in the field. That is an iconic. You can almost show the silhouette of that to anyone around the world and they'll be able to tell you what movie it's from. Uh, and who directed it. They'll, they'll associate it with Hitchcock right off the bat. Um, it has even Marie Saint, textbook platinum Hitchcock blonde, uh, and just is, to me, one of the tightest... Uh, and it has the Mount Rushmore finale, too, which is another great sort of set piece of him hanging off the face of the Mount Rushmore. Yeah, I think from top to bottom, as much as I love, 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 love movies like Shadow of a Doubt or Strangers on a Train, um, and, and I think if you made the case for Vertigo... I think Vertigo is a genius movie, but I don't associate Vertigo with a lot of the things that that I associate with Hitchcock, the types of stories that he told. So that prevented me from choosing it. I think North by Northwest not only is my favorite Hitchcock, but I also think it's the best representation of what a Hitchcock movie is. So that's my choice. I, I uh, admire and appreciate your argument, sir. Um, Thank you. I do, Thank you. I, I want you to guess. Can you guess my favorite and my best? Yes, I will try. I will they're two different try. movies, and they're very. And, and, and when I talked to Gabe earlier, I had them in reverse, and now that I've thought about it a little bit more, I've 
flipped it. So, um, so guess I my think, favorite first, and then my best. I, I think your favorite is, um, Psycho. Okay. I think your best is Vertigo. All right, so you got the best right. Um, okay. My favorite is Rope. Um, oh yes. Yeah, for its rope. unbroken takes. Yeah, I mean that movie is just. I should have known that. Ah, man, you talk about rope a lot, and it's so good. Rope is a masterclass in filmmaking, and I remember. Yes. And I believe at the time you made that film, film magazines were about uh, roughly twenty minutes, from what I understand. And he wanted these long, unbroken shots. I think the movie itself, I want to say it has seven or eight cuts. I think two of them are visible um, to the okay. eye. From what I understand, but don't quote me on those exact numbers. But back then, he wanted to do these long shots, and because the film magazines weren't long enough for him to continue the shot, the way he would like go behind someone's jacket, uh, and then the camera would somehow cut in that moment, and he would continue the shot. Uh, right. I just thought that was so. Like to me, it was one of those things where it was like a perfect blend of necessity being the mother of invention in regards to coming up with ways clever ways to keep the camera going as a single as a single shot but also the idea that it actually played into the story's intensity so he utilized the shots even though they were being trying to make them look unbroken they still created a a certain level of intensity the way they would go in between things very similar you know like now i guess an updated version of that now would probably be something like what birdman did the stitching of a shot maybe going up up the stage and going past a, a beam and like in that point they've cut the camera but you know with rope it was just pure intensity very small setting um the whole idea of the dead body just being there the entire time is just insane <laughs> to me um well, it that's is, what he loved doing he loved creating yeah. these little intricate puzzles you know yeah. that the audience was kind of the audience was in on the gag yeah. and they had to sort of really just follow along to see when was it going to be revealed. I wonder, do you think audiences knew, because to me, the gimmick of Rope, it's a really good story, and it's got a good Jimmy Stewart performance. Um, He's so but good in it. do you think the audience knew about the long takes, or is that something that, that we sort of found out after? Because to me, the know. joy of it is sort of timing out, well, he's got to cut soon, he's got to cut soon, yeah. and then trying to find where he did it. So I wonder if the audience is new. My experience with Rope for the first time was based on that information. So yeah. uh, had I seen the film prior to that, I don't know how I'd feel similar about it I mean, to, to me. But it, but going back and rewatching it, it does – it finds that thing that like I, I, I mentioned a couple weeks ago that Wes Anderson has where you – when you watch a film, like a Hitchcock film, like half my brain is fully engrossed in the storyline, not leaving mm-hmm. the story suspension of disbelief whatsoever – and the other half of my brain's like, oh my god, it's a really cool shot. I like how he's tracking that. I like how he's panning the camera. Um, so with rope, to me, it was kind of a that intersection of finding that um, that element of yeah, it's so cool to know that he had very minimal time in regards to the shots and how he had to stitch them together. I think there's two, only two visible, like actual noticeable cuts in the film, from what I understand. The rest of them are all mm. hidden, from what I understand. Um, I, it's, it's been years since I've seen it. I have to go back and watch it again. But well, I also love, like one thing that I realized why I was going to marry Michelle um, is that because I talked about film so much when we were dating and we were watching some movie and I forget which one it was. And there was an unbroken shot, a really long unbroken shot. And she leaned over to me mm-hmm. and I, I knew it. And I was like sort of tracking it. Like, when are they going to cut? When are they going to cut? And she leaned over. She said, this is one shot so far. And I was like, oh, you are definitely for me. <laughs> my, that so. dude, my, same thing my wife. My wife does the same thing. She, she'll, she'll actually find things before I do sometimes. Like in the, in the sense of we're watching a shot and she'll go, she'll go Kevin, this is still this is only one shot. Um, yeah. But the, uh, yeah. I, my, the but best your best. Get to your best. Vertigo. This yeah, is, I mean. Ha, yeah. It's hard to argue. I think Vertigo to me is arguably the greatest movie ever made uh, in regards to just sheer production, filmmaking, storytelling. Um, performances are incredible. I mean, Godfather Part Two, I'd put up in that level. Uh, again, best. I'm not saying my favorite, but Vertigo to me kind of is that perfect element where it is a very fun, entertaining film, but also just a complete masterclass 
in how movies should be made. Um, and I know that the dolly zoom vertigo shot wasn't invented for that film, but it was made famous in that movie. Uh, right. And the score, everything about that film, um, intensity-wise, performance-wise. But to me, the, the beauty of utilizing a dolly zoom shot to create that intensity uh, and having that shot not take you out of the film, actually morally immerse you, immerse you in the moment, um, and just a shot like that becoming a shot that every filmmaker now utilizes in that way to intensify a moment. Jaws, um, you know, Jackson loved them in Lord of the Rings. Um, but I would argue yeah, that the Jaws, the Jaws dolly zoom is more effective than the vertical one. Yeah, the I jo- think the yeah. look on Brody's face is so, so it's terrifying. Good. Yeah, it's but I mean, to me, like I just imagine like Spielberg watching Vertigo and going, "Okay, we got, we got to, we got to get that shot in here." <laughs> how do we, how do we tell the audience that Roy is? So much in shock. Oh, okay, we'll just do a simple dolly zoom. Okay, right, that's from Vertigo. Right. Yeah, and, and to me, it's like it's just a it was just a perfect combination of finding that realm of making a movie that lived within its intensity, but also you could admire every aspect of how it was shot, every moment of editing, and just the God those dolly zooms looking over when uh what's the shot where he's running up and then he looks down and like and it's just that the, the famous one like the most famous the staircase one. Yeah, yeah the staircase, staircase. is so because he's terrified he can't go to great heights after his accident in the beginning it's it's iconic the idea of climbing up to the top is just, he's chasing the, the he's chasing kim novak up to the top of the, the flight yeah. of stairs i've been I need to. I haven't seen Vertigo in probably five years. I need to go back and rewatch it. But it is. Well, what I love is that in the sight and sound poll of critics, it was sight and sound where it finally, it finally moved replaced, above Citizen Kane. Thank God. Which is great because right because mm. Citizen Kane, as good as it is, it is. I know you don't like it, or I know you don't love it, but you, I you appreciate it. what it's done. But I think right. in a poll like that, it's time to sort of reflect. Like I wouldn't be. I wouldn't be upset if, if even something a little more modern. Then Vertigo was chosen as the top one. I, th- I don't think it always has to be such an old classic. Right. I think it's okay to acknowledge that contemporary filmmakers are pushing the medium and and making masterpieces that could potentially challenge these quote unquote greatest films ever made to be to me, you know something that we recognize as the greatest movie. Citizen Kane is an amazing film filmmaking wise in regards to shots. Everything like that. Vertigo, to me, is exactly what Citizen Kane did in regards to pushing cinema forward a certain way, right? But also told an amazing story that engaged me. I don't find the Citizen Kane story engaging. Uh, and I know it's bla- blasphemy to say that. Touch of Evils and a better film. But I, I just think that there's something to be said about Citizen Kane be- having this aura that it's the greatest movie ever made. And I think it's, it's gorgeous and I admire it. I know what, I understand that he was the first to break ground and oh my God, the, the, the deep focus that he had in that film going through billboards. It was very, very cool. Um, right. But to me, that film, the story, the story is not, in my opinion, entertaining. Uh, Vertigo has everything I just mentioned, but also is a great story with great performances. So I think Citizen Kane is a great film. I admire it. I respect it. I just don't love it like everybody else does. That's all. Jeff, Jeff Hazelhurst um, says Rope was also his favorite. You got to vote for Rope from people who are watching That's us great. on the live show. So and Jessica good. Rowden says uh, she loves to catch a thief. It's her favorite. Probably not his best. The audience pick went with somebody that uh, went with a film that wasn't ours. Neither of us chose it. Audience went with Rear Window as their yeah. favorite. And the, for people is, playing Hitchcock Blend at home. Isn't everything in Rear Window like all the sound is actually naturally happening on set? On set, I read that somewhere that yeah. it's all di- what's the diegetic? Was that the name of the, t- the term where it's in camera sound? There's, there's definitely like, cityscape stuff that has to be piped in. I, I um, heard it was all natural, like everything that you're hearing is natural. But I, I could be you wrong. Know, that would make sense if because. The apartments that he's watching are off in the distance and the audio coming from those apartments right. is at a certain level from what he can hear. I'll tell you what I love about Rear Window. We busted that off the shelf and showed it to the boys recently. And it it works for all ages. Dude, oh, yeah. tension, tension is just universal. And you don't have to be familiar with anything for it to work on you. It's just the fear of there's a bad guy in that room over there 
He might have done something bad. And if you're going to go into that room and then the simple act of just he comes back, you think he's gone. So you go into the room and now he's back and he's coming in through the door and you're helpless. It's such a great premise. It's such an easy setup. And the payoff is so brilliant. And that's what Hitchcock does. I think he does that so well. So when he gets into things like Vertigo, I'm not saying he's getting too complicated for his own good, but I love when he just sort of strips it down and makes it. You know, strangers on a train, two people who meet and one guy threatens, you know, or he says, look, I'll, I'll pay you to essentially eliminate this person for me. Simple concept. And just the way that he pulls it off is just so effective to me. Brilliant totally. filmmaker. Absolutely brilliant. Agreed. Uh, Jake is going to get a chance to weigh in at the beginning of next week's episode uh, for his pick. Again, after Rear Window, the audience went with Vertigo, Psycho, North by Northwest, all sort of got mentions. So, uh, God, there's so many brilliant ones you can choose. And I love that Kevin Chip chose Rope. That was a great choice. Next week, Kevin, we're going to get back into actresses. Um, and because we're doing Ocean's 8, I want us to sort of debate the films of Sandra Bullock. Yeah. So let's do hashtag Bullock Blend, which I don't think one. is easy, you know, because uh. she won her Oscar for Blindside, but I'll bet 50 bucks none of us say that Blindside is the best Sandra Bullock. Well, I already movie. have my pick for this, but. I, I speed is like one of my favorites of all time. And there's so many good, good ones. So, well, don't give your choice away now. I'm not, it's, not, it's, not, it's, not speed. it's not speed. It's not speed. Speed is great though. It's really good. By the way. Yeah. <laughs> speed is great. Pop quiz hot. Um, <laughs> okay. Uh, Jake is not with us. We miss him a lot. He'll be back next week. Uh, he is at Jake's takes. Kevin is at where on social media. I am at, <laughs> Oh, well, I don't have one ready this week. Um, just do Kevin McCarthy TV this week or, or, uh, yeah, I'll I'll, I'll have a clever one next week. Yeah. (laughs) I'll actually find him. And I'm at Sean underscore O'Connell. The whole show can be at real blend R E E L B L E N D. Um, the other guys are going to go see Jurassic world, uh, this weekend. So we'll get a a sense of how that plays. Say hi to Bayona for me. One of my favorite filmmakers right now. I love him so much. Go see the impossible. Go see monster calls, which is over my shoulder right here. I hope that he's able to maintain, uh, his streak, because I think he's on an amazing streak. The Orphanage, also an amazing film. Um, we will yeah. be back next Tuesday, uh, where we will discuss The Incredibles. We'll discuss Hereditary in more depth. Uh, we will hopefully have Jake back with us. So thank you very much for watching the live show. And if you're downloading us on all your various podcast apps, please be sure to give us a, uh, a rating and a review. And we will talk to you guys next week. Dunkirk! Hey, Drew Scott here. And I'm Jonathan Scott, reminding you that life's better with a home policy from American Family Insurance. They can help you get just the right protection at just the right price and help you save when you bundle home and auto. Kind of like Goldilocks and the Three Bears. It'll be just right for you. We love a custom build. American Family Insurance. Insure carefully. Dream fearlessly. Get a quote and find an agent at AmFam.com. Products not available in every state. Visit AmFam.com to learn how discounts may apply to you. American Family Mutual Insurance Company, S.I. and its operating company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin.